Dear friends of Jesus Christ, both of these parables are describing the same reality. They describe the inner transformation that takes place when someone has a genuine encounter with Christ and his kingdom. A man taking a Sunday stroll through the countryside stumbles upon treasure in the field. I like to imagine this man as a cartoon character with exaggerated facial features. As soon as he sees this treasure, his eyes become as wide as saucers and his chin drops right to the ground. He can't believe what he has seen. So he quickly covers up the treasure and then, fueled by the joy of his discovery, he he, he rushes back home and immediately tries to sell all his possessions on Virage Sale or Use Victoria or something. His neighbors think that he's crazy, possessed even. What are you doing over there, Bob, they say to him. Don't you know that that house and that that land has been in your family for generations? Shouldn't you at least talk to your brothers and sisters or your wife before putting everything up for sale? But Bob isn't hearing what they have to say. For his eyes have seen the glory of the treasure in the field. And that has changed everything. The same thing happens to the merchant. Being in business, this man knows value when he sees it. And one day, while walking through the market, his eye catches, uh, uh, catches a pearl. And he sees what it is clearly, a pearl of enormous value. It is so valuable to him that he rushes home and immediately sells off all his possessions in order to have and to hold that pearl of great value. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, says Jesus. When its glory is experienced, everything changes. When it is seen as the treasure that it is, all other shiny things fade away. Two weeks ago, I described the kingdom of heaven as being the realm of God's effective will. That's Dallas Willard's definition. God's kingdom is the area over which God has authority. It's the place where he sets the culture, the community over which um, he gets to have the last and final word. What he says goes. That's God's kingdom. Now, the Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So in that sense, all things are God's because he has made all things and they are part of his kingdom. But of course, not everyone and not everything in the world recognizes the sovereignty of God over all. Ever since Adam and Eve, the world has had a love-hate relationship with the true king of the universe. Like the prodigal son, we want what the father has to give, but we don't want the father himself. In fact, we would prefer to have our inheritance now and for God to back off. Thank you very much. Take the money and run. This rebellious streak, this prideful way of being, of, of existing off of the Father's goods, um, but not wanting the Father, this, is, uh, this streak, the Bible says, impacts every human heart. Deep down, we would all rather extend the realm of our effective will than submit our lives to God and his kingdom. 
Given this rebellious streak, it's not surprising that the history of the world is largely a story of kingdoms clashing. We fight for our will to be done on a small scale in our homes and workplaces and on a large scale as nations. No one wins in this prideful storm. Creation groans, the Bible says, under the weight of the struggle. We become victims of our own sin, we read, in our world belongs to God. The Bible says that the one enthroned in heaven laughs at our petty power games. It also tells us a story that, that reveals that it is the Lord's deepest desire to restore the lost as his children and the world as his kingdom. When Jesus started his ministry, he went about the towns and villages of the Galilee, and he was more or less proclaiming the same sermon in each town. His message was simple, and it was this. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. There's an awful lot packed into this little sermon, but in essence, it's an announcement. It's breaking news. The kingdom of God has come near, and the world will never be the same. Jesus' announcement at the beginning of his ministry is a lot like Mr. Beaver's announcement in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's uh, children's book. Aslan is on the move, he whispers to the four children. Aslan is on the move. This is an announcement. Things are changing. A different reality is moving in. And as that announcement is made, things begin to change. Winter fades and spring erupts. And we begin to see that the white witch's days are numbered. The kingdom of God is on the move, says Jesus in his sermon. The kingdom of God is near. The great day of liberation is near. The disciples think that Jesus is talking about politics here. They think that uh, the kind of kingdom Jesus will bring and the announcement that Jesus is sharing is going to result in the land of Israel being restored to its former glory with Jesus sitting on the throne. But Jesus' ministry, as we see all through the Gospels, uh, is much deeper than simple politics. He's come to plant the kingdom in people's hearts to have their minds transformed by the Spirit, to forgive their sins and, and transform them from the inside out. And wouldn't you know it, wherever Jesus goes proclaiming this message and bearing witness to this message, signs and treasures of the kingdom begin to follow after. The lame walk, the lost are found, and the isolated are restored to true community. This announcement, the kingdom of God has come near, that God is on the move, and the reality it represents is the treasure of the kingdom. And it's the pearl that produces this transformative joy. I love what the angels, I love their declaration of Christ and his kingdom uh, at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Behold, they say to those who are keeping watch over their flocks by night, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, meaning he is the true king. And moved by joy and wonder, the shepherds, they abandon their flocks and they go to Bethlehem to see this newborn king. 
Wise men from the east saw signs of this announcement written in the stars, and they embarked on a multi-year journey to offer gifts and worship this newborn king. And nearly everyone who came in contact with Christ and his kingdom was, was transformed by Christ's presence. I'm thinking of the leper who cried out to Jesus for help. If you are willing, the leper said, you can make me clean. I am willing, said Jesus. Be clean. And though Jesus told the leper to keep this miracle a secret, in his joy, the man went and told everyone he knew. I'm thinking about the woman who poured uh, uh, expensive oil on Jesus' feet. Mary, what did she see in Jesus? How did Jesus' presence impact her? We don't know entirely, but we know that she saw something. And what she did in response was take a bottle of expensive uh, perfume worth about a year's worth of wages, and she poured it all out on his feet. Maybe she saw in him the resurrection and the life, a pearl worth more than all the treasures on earth. And I'm thinking, too, of the Apostle Paul. Paul, of course, was at first the most successful and ruthless of all those who stood opposed to Jesus and God's kingdom. But then one day on a journey to Damascus, the kingdom of God came near to Paul, and it blinded him, and a voice came from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Blinded by the light, Paul uh, went, uh, he had to get some help for that. But over the next few days, a great transformation took place in his life. And in no time, Paul went from hating Christ and Christ's kingdom to being the primary promoter of Christ and his kingdom. And pretty soon, he considered all else in his life rubbish in comparison to the surpassing knowledge of uh, supreme treasure of knowing Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that a man stumbled upon in a field. When he found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Many who came in contact with Jesus were transformed by him. That joy was implanted in it, and it began to take over their life. But others were repelled. The religious leaders, for instance, they didn't see treasure when they saw Jesus. They saw a threat to their kingdom. The same was true for Herod and Pilate and others. When your main priority is to expand your own kingdom in the world, the kingdom of heaven will never appear glorious. Jesus will be a threat. Others weren't repelled by Jesus. They were curious about him, but they weren't quite ready to forsake all for his sake. I'm thinking now of the rich young ruler. Teacher, he said, falling on his knees before Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus had been, just been talking about this. In the previous scene, he had said, Unless you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But the rich young ruler isn't much interested in becoming a child again. He is a successful man. He's secured much for himself in life. Now he wants to secure the treasures of the kingdom, eternal life. 
Well, said Jesus, have you kept the commands? Since birth, the man replies. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This young man was not happy to hear these words. He knew that the kingdom of heaven was valuable, a valuable treasure, eternal life, a valuable treasure. But how valuable was it, really? Was it worth giving up his status, his possessions, worth giving up his life of security for a life of unknown following after Christ? He went away sad, not ready to make that move. This man wanted the heavenly goods, but he didn't want it enough to forsake all in order to follow Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is an act of turning. In repentance, you see the worthlessness of all the status games you've played in life, the folly that you've based your life upon, and the harm that it has caused to yourself and to others. You see it. You get present to the impact of that. You experience the remorse often in the weight of that. And then in trust, you turn and yoke yourself to Jesus Christ, and with him you begin the lifelong journey of aligning your life so that it harmonizes with the principles and contours and values of the kingdom of God. To repent is often this uh, thought of as, as a solemn act, and sometimes it is uh, repentance, saying no to something, turning away from something. It can be a serious thing to do, but it's not drudge, drudgery. Those who have had a genuine encounter with Christ and his kingdom don't say, ah, oh, you know, like, ah, oh, do I have to, Jesus? Do I really have to do that? I don't really want to. It's, it's not drudgery, drudgery. Because they, people who have uh, seen Jesus and his kingdom and have their eyes opened up by him, you know, they're, they're looking at something much greater. They're looking at this treasure, this pearl, and it's causing them to be filled with joy and to long for Christ and his kingdom. Notice that the man and the merchant aren't weighed down by the sacrifices they make to attain the pearl and the treasure. Both of them are being animated by kingdom joy that has sunk deep within them. The sight of the treasure and the pearl has so possessed them that they don't see anything else. And turning away from these other things in their life, it's actually the most logical choice to them. It's the only thing that makes sense. To see this illustrated in the Bible, I think, um, I think the best example we have is that of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you'll remember, was a wee little tax collector who lived in Jericho. And one day he uh, heard that Jesus was passing through. He wanted to see Jesus. We're not sure why Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but we know that he was awfully serious about it, perhaps even desperate to see Jesus, because he climbed a tree. A man of stature, climbing a tree, doing something childish to see Jesus walking through town. Jesus was just passing through, we're told, but we know that he can't resist a lost soul when he sees one. 
Come down from there, Jesus says to Zacchaeus. I'm moving into your house today. I must stay with you today. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed to the core. We know this because he scampers out of that tree confessing his sins while making promises to give to the poor and to pay back all that he has stolen over the years. And we wonder what happened in that moment of encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. What did Zacchaeus see? Maybe he saw someone who could lead him off the wide path that leads to destruction and put him on the narrow path that leads to life. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what Zacchaeus experienced that day. All we can see is the fruit of this joy that is beginning to take over his life. And Zacchaeus doesn't see his possessions anymore. They're clear house, clear house. That doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus is moving in. This parable doesn't teach us what we need to do in order to attain the kingdom of heaven. And that is because the kingdom of heaven cannot be bought. But it does show us what a genuine encounter with Christ and his kingdom, what it does inside the human heart. It produces joy, 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 joy down in the human heart. And then that joy bubbles up and takes over. A new orientation towards life begins to form. It leads to repentance, but not drudgery, not a drudgery kind of repentance, but this life-giving turn, this joy-filled turn away from the things of this world towards the things of God. And it's my deep, deep desire this morning to point you towards the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price. I can't, I can try to make it clear, but you have to be, you have to have the eyes to see it yourself. I can't give you that joy. I can't take it from my mouth and just plant it in your heart and cause it to grow. But I know that God can and that he desires to do that. The leper, Mary, Paul, Zacchaeus, they all came in contact with a person and a reality that that took their breath away, that turned their lives around so that they were never the same. This is the treasure that Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you are included in that many that he has died for. This is the pearl, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he has come that you might be reconciled with your creator, forgiven, and sent on a new adventure that leads to life and life in abundance. This is the treasure that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. This is the pearl that when he returns, he will complete his kingdom on earth, and the earth will be filled with the glory of of the Lord. Do you see it? Do you see the pearl, the treasure? Let it fill you with joy and let it transform your life. Amen.